Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. everyone it's great to be here again my name's Ross if we haven't met and as Ben said we are working through 1 Corinthians so we're going to have a bit of a break now till we're not going to pick up the last bit of 1 Corinthians till next year because it's another big chunk we've been doing it now for all this year so we're going to do a couple of other uh, different books of the Bible from now on but this is the last thing it sort of wraps up a whole lot of ideas that we've been talking about if you've been with us for the last term or two terms uh, so I'm excited about getting to this passage where it pulls a few things together. Uh, so how about we pray that God will help us to understand it. Let's pray together. Dear Father God, just thank you for yeah, being on this journey with us, for guiding us through your word, through your spirit, Lord. That us as a church family, we can wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus in a world that is far, far different from your kingdom. So I pray for your guidance, your wisdom, you speak to us this morning. Amen. What I've noticed is that everybody processes signs differently. When we see a sign, we work out, we interpret it in different ways, depending on our personality type, depending on our situation. And they, let me give you a few examples. <clears throat> a sign like this one. This year, thousands of men will die of stubbornness. So some people go, no, we won't. Oh, we're not going to do that. We're going to argue with the signs, even though it might be saying the truth. There's others that we just want to ignore. Please don't go beyond this point. And there's hundreds of people walking beyond that point. It's like, uh, I think I know better than the sign. I'll just ignore it completely. Or there's other signs that you just go, actually, I just don't even know why it's there. Don't swim on the pipe. And then hundreds of kids are swimming on the pipe in the ocean. It's like, I think I just know better. Or there's other signs that just go, Actually, I never even thought of that, but now that you mention it, like this person, horses prohibited on the bridge, so somebody's got to dress up as a horse. Because why? Because of the signs there. Let's just do it out of defiance. Let's show the sign that I, I'm the master of myself. Or there's other signs that we kind of should stop and think about. Uh, touching wise causes instant death. You'll receive a $200 fine. <laughs> it's like you've at least got to stop and think about that one right what's the worst thing that could happen here oh is that $200 gonna hurt or die it's that kind of like sometimes we actually need to take seriously and what Paul's doing in the book of Colossians is particularly this sign is showing us a whole lot of signs that's what we're going to look at today a whole lot of signs but the question is how are we going to interpret the signs what are we going to do with these signs because sometimes faith, faith in following Jesus, it's hard work. And we do need a signpost to point us the right way, to encourage us. Sometimes we need a sign to get our attention, to go, do you really know what you're doing? Are you standing firm? And we need a bit of a wake-up call to stop and grab our attention. Or sometimes we need a sign to go, do you know how big this is? This is huge. And sometimes we need a signpost to remind us, to point us back to Jesus and not looking around, getting distracted with everything else. 
But how will we see the signs? How will we interpret the signs? Are they just good advice? Are they just ignoring? Are they daring you to do something different? Or should we actually, hey, this is big. I need to look and listen. So Paul has three signs for us, three messages, and they come out of the whole of chapters 9 and 10. So we'll be looking at 10. If you are here last week, Ben walked us through chapter 9. But the two chapters, they hold off each other. They go together. So if you weren't here last week, I'll give you a flyover of chapter 9. If you were here last week and go, I can't remember what happened yesterday, let alone last week. We're going to have a quick flyover again because chapter 9 is the first sign because he's saying if you think you're wasting your time, you're not. You're not. Wasting your time following Jesus. Who's been there? Having doubts in my head. This is... I've been called to sacrifice a lot. I don't know whether it's worth it. And Paul hit chapter 9 last week. He had a few little pictures for us. And the first one, he made a statement about himself. I give my life to share the message of Jesus. And one of the key verses there is talking about himself in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus as an apostle with certain rights and privileges. He waving those rights uh, of being paid and being looked after. He says, we did not use this right. Um, in verse 12 on the contrary we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of christ i'm going to devote my life to jesus i'm going to devote my life for other people to hear the message of jesus this is so significant for paul he's going to waive all his other rights the second part of that chapter he says i give my life to see others trust in jesus and a key verse in that was verse 22. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. He says, I could be doing anything with my life. I could be looking after me. I don't have to do anything for anyone. I can just look after myself. That'd be more fun. But he says, no, I'm going to become all things to all people. Another verse says, I become a slave to all people so that I might save some, so I might point some to Jesus, and they see what I see. I'm happy to give that up, because Jesus is worth it. The message of the gospel changes lives, changes his, will change others. The third thing in that uh, chapter is I give my life to get the prize at the end. And he had this image of the athletes practising for prizes. And he says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown, that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He's comparing the things we pursue in life, the things we work hard at at life. We train ourselves, we focus ourselves. We even have self-discipline to be an athlete, to be focused on winning the prize. But he says the prizes we look at here on earth are just temporary. The ones he's talking about, the games that they had uh, near Corinth, uh, as Ben mentioned last week, are made out of celery. Well, they literally lasted a day but even the prizes we chase for fame and wealth they're just fleeting but he says we strive for a prize we have the self-discipline we have the focus we train for the prize that lasts eternity that's how big it is that's how significant it is so for paul if you said to paul do you think you're wasting your time he's like no way in fact rather than questioning if i'm wasting my time if i'm wasting my life I let Jesus shape my life. I get more focused on him and live for him. There were lots of people telling Paul he was wasting his time. But he was thoroughly convinced, no, no, 
this is, this is way bigger than you could, what you could do for anything else in your life. And one of the key things that he, all of Corinthians points to at the end in chapter 15, he points to the thing that convicts him of this. I'll pull up the verses from chapter 15, pick it up from verse 3, where he says, For what I received I passed on to you as first importance. This is the most important thing. The whole letter depends on this, what he's about to say. That Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. He's saying that to go, check it out, go and talk to them who saw Jesus. Go and talk to them. Though some of them have fallen asleep, he says. But then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born, meaning he wasn't there with the apostles at the time, he saw Jesus after Jesus' resurrection on the road. That's a whole other story in the book of Acts, where Jesus appeared to him. This is not somebody just saw Jesus do a few miracles, because we spend a lot of time in the Gospels talking about Jesus' miracles, Jesus turning water into wine, Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus doing healing. That should be enough to convict you. Wow, there's something going on with this, this man. He's more than a good teacher. He's, he's divine that he could do these supernatural things. But Paul's saying, I've seen him do something much greater. I saw him was killed, was buried, but then rose from the dead. He defeated death. That's not a party trick. That's something you go, wow, this changes everything. It changes the world that this is not, no, it's not some ordinary man. This truly is the son of God. He truly is divine. And this is why Paul says, what are you going to give your life to? Are you wasting your time following Jesus? No. This actually shapes the rest of your life. It points you to follow Jesus. This is worth living for. It's worth living for. He says, I'm going to plan my life around Jesus. And he's urging the Corinthians. Because he's talked about that the realities of heaven and hell are very real. And to follow Jesus is finding life, eternal life, and that's worth training for. This is much more than being religious. It's more than just being a nice person. But actually, being a disciple of Jesus gives you life, and you need to pursue Him. You need to live for Him. You need to turn your life and focus on Him and start living for His kingdom. That's what Paul's done. So if you're in a position where you're starting to wonder... I'm just, my life's in a rut. I just don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure what my purpose is. I'm just stuck in this, this little hole and I can't get out of. Paul says, as long as you're living for Jesus, that gives you purpose. And what that's going to look like is different for all of us. But don't think it's not worth it. Don't be discouraged. Jesus risen from the dead. It's worth it. Paul gives his life to it and he encourages the Corinthians and encourages us too as well. That's the first sign. Are we going to pay attention to that sign? Because he goes on to show another sign as we hit chapter 10. He says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful. And he starts to tell a story about what happened in the Old Testament for God's people. And he's relating to a story when God called his people, the Israelites or the Jews, they were God's people. He called them. 
They're in slavery in Egypt. He saves them out of slavery by defeating the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh's gods. Saved them, took them through a journey through the wilderness or the desert to get to the promised land. This is, he's saying, look back. So he says, hitting chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses, and the cloud that was, uh, and the, sorry, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. Bit of strange language. Can't wait to get back and read that story in Exodus and Numbers about what was going on there. But he's talking about, hey, these were chosen people and he's using language that they might know, thinking about baptism and the Lord's Supper. He's going to talk about that more in a minute. But these guys were baptised in that, going through the ocean. They, uh, so when Moses led them away from the Pharaoh, God parted the ocean for them to go through and the ocean come in over Pharaoh and his army. That was a form of baptism, he's saying, under the cloud. So God guided them by cloud through the wilderness. And he's saying this form of baptism, baptism, it's not like sprinkling of the water, but it's symbolic of these are my people. These are in, we had baptism last week, and that's the bit we stressed. Even with children, we're saying these children are a part of our community. They're a part of our family. The word the Bible uses, or the, the idea, is the covenant, God's covenant, God's promises are for them. Israel were the only nation, only nation, that were called God's family, God's community, or God's people. So Israel, they'll baptise through that process. And through God supplying their needs, and their stories about uh, water pouring out of the rocks in the desert, where there's no water, Paul's saying God supplied their needs but that wasn't just some random act, that was Jesus. Just as Jesus supplies our needs. Jesus was supplying their needs as Lord, that he, he did it for them because they were his people. These guys were the people of God. Look back, the book of Exodus, going to the book of Numbers. These guys, it was very clear, God making a statement. God chose them, God baptised them, God supplied their spiritual needs. God did this for them. They weren't anything special, they didn't deserve it, but God brought them to himself to call him his people. They were at a point of privilege. If you asked them, who are you? They'd go, I'm a Jew. I'm in God's family, without a doubt. But Paul then just goes on, nevertheless, God was not pleased with them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, in the desert. If you read the story, there's a big pile of bodies there. For some reason, God had called them. God gave them a point of privilege, but something has happened that there's a big pile of bodies. They didn't make it through the wilderness. They didn't make it through the desert to the promised land. Why? What happened to them? What do we need to know so we don't make the same mistakes? He goes, oh, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Ah, oh, they got it wrong. Instead of having a heart for God, they started chasing evil things. What did they do? Verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did. 
and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, but they were killed by the destroying angel. See, if you go through the book of Numbers, there's a series of events that happened. They were so happy. They'd defeated Pharaoh. They'd escaped slavery in Egypt. They got into the wilderness. Moses, their leader, had gone up to the mountain to talk to God and eventually get the Ten Commandments. And they were just so happy. We want to be, what do other nations do when they have victory and want to celebrate? They make an image of their God. So they built the golden calf. They had a big party, which ended up to be a bit of an orgy. And they've lost track. Instead of going, we are God's people, we're focused on God's kingdom, we're focused on living for him, they're going, we're living in this world where other people, when they're in this situation, they do all this other stuff. They didn't see that God's calling them to be something better than that. So they got punished for it because they were following their evil hearts. They were grumbling and they were testing God. Uh, God sent all these snakes and snakes started to bite them and kill them until they turned around and trusted God with a snake on a pole which pointed to Christ. And many of them were dead from then. And just their general grumbling, not appreciative of God. Because when we grumble, the reason why we mostly grumble is because we don't get our way. God, I'm hungry, I want food. God gives some food. God, I want better food or different food. God, I'm thirsty, give me water. Not the water out of the rock, I want other water. And God, we had, we had garlic and herbs back in Egypt. Where's my garlic and herbs out here? They were just grumbling all the time. To the point, by the time they got to the promised land, only two out of the original group of people went into the promised land. The rest were in a pile of bodies through the desert. Paul's saying, look, Listen, that's a sign. This is a picture I'm painting for you. These were the people of God. Now they're a pile of bodies in the desert. Paul says to them, I think I've got the next verse coming up there. My clicker's not clicking, I'm sorry. Is it coming up? Awesome. Verse 11. Stressing. Read the sign, he says. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful so that you don't fall. See, if we had some means of contacting on our mobile phones to go back in time and phone up one of the one of the Jews going through the desert, going, say, look, do you realise what you're doing here? Like, who do you think you are? We're Jews. We're the people of God. If you'd spoken to them, they would say, we're not doing anything wrong because we are the people of God. God has baptised us. He's supplied our spiritual needs. This is our identity. We're God's people. Now, well, but what are you doing, doing these other things, these big parties chasing idols and other things like that what's wrong with that every all the other nations do that we're not any different to anybody else but paul's saying we're in a position in a time in history now particularly past the old testament jews we're past jesus on the cross where jesus opened up his people to be whole not just a nation but a whole lot of nations so we are included and we're in a position where we can look back on them and go, yeah, that wasn't so wise. Yes, you were God's people, but you were living in this world with the other nations, even in the desert. 
It's like when God called them and called them out, you are my people. They are facing God. They are facing God's kingdom. They are marching towards him to live for something better than this world offers. They are finding life in God. He rescued them, so he's living for them. But the reality is they've still got their feet anchored in this world with all the other nations. And they're looking around at the other nations going, well, how do I live? How do I move forward? I'm watching them instead of being guided by God. So it's more, it's not how foolish they are. They should have known better. Well, they should have known better. But it was more ignorance. It was more just going, well, I know who I am. We are the people of God and just took it for granted or took God for granted. God's like, you're not, you're not going into the kingdom. You're not going into the promised land. There's a pile of bodies there to show you you need to take this more seriously. And if we're like that, Paul says, be careful. If we think we're standing firm, be careful. And Paul's like, God wants you to get there. God wants you to follow him. God wants you to finish well. And this is why he has these cool few verses that we often take out of context. But in here, we actually see what's going on, why he says it. Because again, God wants you to finish. He's not trying to make you stumble. He's not trying to make you fall and just add to the bodies. He says, no temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you, bear, what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. They're not saying, it's no excuse to go, this is too hard. Because I'm living in this world. My, the reality is my feet are anchored here and now in this time in history, in this place, and I've got all this stuff going around me. It's too hard to follow God. I'm actually cornered. Paul's saying, no, no, God has, God wants you to, to keep going, to stand firm, to be on the solid ground, to pursue him. There's always a way out. And he's nurturing you, encouraging you, leading you on to follow him, to trust in him. This is what God wants for you, to finish and to finish well. So how are we going? How are we? Because we are like the Israelites. We are approached by Jesus. We see Jesus as Lord. We see him inviting us into his kingdom. We want to stay focused on him, live for him, glorify him. We don't want to be fools like the Israelites were because they were foolish. Let's focus on God. But the reality is our feet are still in this world, aren't they? Yep. Look around, the here and now. We can't escape this. We live in a particular time in history, in a particular place in the world where it's actually really challenging to stay focused because if we look around, what is expected of me? The world's got a very different view to what God has. And we start taking our normal practice by what the world's standards are, not what God's standards are, just like the foolish Israelites. Don't be like them, Paul's saying. In fact, if you think your faith, you know, you're wrestling with your faith, you realise you are on shaky ground and you actually need to shore up that ground to draw nearer to Jesus, nearer to his word, to get your feet standing on solid ground again so you can see him clearly. In fact, you're in a better position than what the Israelites were because they were ignorant. In fact, it's easy for us to go... We're going good. Our faith is going strong. I know, I'm a child of God. I've got a cross around my neck. I believe in Jesus. I'm all good. 
you're the sort of person Paul's saying you need to be careful because you're on shaky ground because if you're taking your values or the norm from what's all around you you're starting to slip stand firm he says look to Jesus continually look to Jesus you think you're standing firm that's when you really need to be careful what are we doing with that sign the third sign if you think it's bigger than you you're right you are right because sometimes it's easy to think that we're in this alone that my faith is a personal thing a private thing I don't have to share it and I'm just on this journey me and God we're in this together it's way bigger than that it's way bigger than you Paul goes on from verse 16 is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ and now he's explicitly talking about the Lord's Supper and we're going to be doing this at the end of the service where he talks about drinking the cup the juice points us to Jesus on the cross and it unites us with Jesus we participate in Jesus death and resurrection when we share in the cup in the Lord's Supper and it is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ that again unites us with Jesus because there is one loaf we who are many are one body and we all share in the one loaf there's two things going on here we are united with Christ when we participate in the Lord's Supper uh, with the juice and the bread but we're also united with each other we're brothers and sisters in the context of what Paul's saying Israel were the nation of God they were brought together by the baptism by the Lord's Supper they were brought together as God's people but as a people through the cross of Jesus the church us we are God's people we're also a people we do it together as a church family we are a people now this is good news it is good news that God accepts us God brings us in just like Israel didn't deserve it but God did it to bring them in same for us we didn't do anything to deserve it Jesus died called us uh, he rose again and draws us to himself we don't deserve it. all Jesus has done that for us we're on solid ground he gives us that but this is the danger isn't it if we rely on our taken on identity and not live it because he says consider the people of Israel remember they thought they they had it all they were the only nation God chose you don't have the same arrogance because you got something special in Jesus so this is how we can get it wrong uh, he says firstly just as the Israelites looked around their culture and saw the norm and participated in their wild parties and their whinging and grumbling he's saying don't you go down looking at your culture for so for the Corinthians their culture was uh, over 30 temples in the town and it was just a part of the the Corinthian calendar there's a festival almost every weekend at each temple and just everybody would go and they'd eat a feast at the temple um, make some sacrifice to their God and please their priests in some sort of way it was the norm it was the routine it was accepted in fact if you didn't do that you weren't considered a proper Roman and you're persecuted for it so they would go to these temples and what Paul goes on to say is actually are you living for God and his kingdom you're drinking the cup united with God united with each other or you're drinking the cup at the temple and uniting yourself with demons because that's what they're doing down at the temples they're sacrificing they're drinking 
to, to celebrate the other gods, which Paul says they're demons? Are you looking to, to the kingdom, looking to Jesus, but the reality of standing in their time and place, they needed to be aware of what's going on around them so they didn't go down the same path. Remember, big pile of bodies in the wilderness? Don't join them, he's saying. Don't join them. Now, we've talked about this before, this whole food sacrifice to idols thing in the previous weeks. If you want more on that, you can go back. It's not a huge temptation that we're going to go to a temple and, and do what they did. But he hits a second one that I think is a little bit closer to home for us. In verse 23, where he says, and this is a saying that they had in their, their time and culture. Not that different from us. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Again, this is something he has already brought up earlier in the letter, but he's saying here again, is this another temptation for us? Because as we look to God's kingdom, but the reality is we're standing in this world, in this time, in this place, it is a world that's all about me. I have rights to just look after me, for my pleasures, for my wants, just to do what pleases me. That is our culture. Let me be me is another way of saying, just leave me alone. Don't judge me. I want to do my own thing. It's very individualistic, but also it's not, it's not God-centred, certainly not other people-centred in God's kingdom. And we've talked about how Paul's applied this. He's talked about how this changes our sexuality, changes our marriages, changes our singleness. It changes how we eat food with one another. This has lots of implications about this attitude. It's the heart of what was going on for the Israelites when they were grumbling against God all the time. I want my way, but God's not letting me have it. Grumble, grumble. Pile of bodies in the wilderness. Paul's going, this is dangerous. Looking to God, we are living in a world here now that has the same attitude. If we look at the standards of the world as the norm, what's the norm for my life? I can do what I want when I want. It's all about me, pleasing me, getting what I want. Paul's going, actually, be careful. This is bigger than you. It's bigger than what you think it is. Again, we've had all that context over the previous chapters. This is the game changer. He comes to the end. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, for Him and His kingdom. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're living for. Do not cause anyone to stumble. So we're not just living for God, we're living for others as well, to nurture and build up those around us. We do it as a church family. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Now, a couple of the names he mentioned. Jews didn't get on well with Greeks in their world. They are very exclusive, different ends of the spectrum. No, no, we've come together as the people of God or the church of God. Paul says, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. This is a different, it's bigger than me. It's not just me and my personal faith. It's us. Are we as a church looking to Jesus, looking for his kingdom and living for that? Are we saying this is not a waste of time, but I'm going to shape my life around Jesus and his kingdom? Am I striving for that? This is worth it. That I'm not going to take for granted my position or my status 
in the cross, but I'm going to live for that. This is what this is bigger than we realize. Paul says in the next verse, I haven't got it up here, that he says, uh, live as the way I live as I model my life on Jesus Christ. He says, I'm doing this. Another signpost as an example. But I've only got that from Jesus himself who gave himself for others so they will see the kingdom and be able to enter into the kingdom. This is bigger than us. So if you think you're in this rut in life that you're doing it by yourself, you're not. You're a part of God's kingdom when you trust in Jesus. Not just people in this room, but his church over the world, his church eternal. You're a part of something huge. What a privilege. So what do you think of Paul's signposts? Signposts, do you think you're waste, if you think you're wasting your time, you're not. If you think you're standing firm, be careful. If you think it's bigger than you, you're right. But we're going to devote our lives to Jesus because it's worth it. That's a signpost we should take seriously. Stand firm, be careful. If you're living in, if you're living in the values of this world and not God's. That's another important, it's not a bit of advice. That's an important signpost. This is bigger than you. You're part of God, united with God, united with his people. That's another great signpost we need to be reminded of over and over again. You can't ignore these signs. There is a reality of heaven and hell. Look at the Israelites, pile of bodies in the wilderness. It's real. God is real. But he wants you to make it to the end. He's urging you, encouraging you, giving you a way. Don't be distracted by other things. Don't ignore the signs. We're going to celebrate Lord's Supper now, and it's a good time for this because we're saying in the Lord's Supper that, yeah, I'm on board. I want to live for Jesus. In fact, following Jesus is the only way I can find true life, true purpose, true meaning in life, and I want to do that today. And I'm going to unite myself with Jesus to God's family by participating at the table. Now, if you're not ready for that today, if you're look, I'm just visiting here, um, the, all this stuff, I've got lots of questions about, that's fine. Don't worry about not participating in taking the cup. But if you are here today, whether you're a Southsider, whether you're visiting and you're going, Jesus is my Lord and Saviour, and I want to commit myself, no matter if I'm struggling, no matter if I think I'm okay, it's a time to refocus on Jesus and recenter my life to live for him. I'm going to pray now and I'm just going to explain a little bit more about the, the juice of the bread. Please join me in prayer. Dear Father God, just thank you for this gracious message that for us it's a sign, big signs that we can't miss to say, take you seriously. You're not just a tack on in life. You're not just something that's adding a burden to life, but you are the meaning of life. Lord, we're sorry that we get distracted, that we actually pursue our own needs, our own wants when we shouldn't. We're sorry when we take you for granted, just thinking, oh, you're going to forgive us. It's all good. Lord, help us to see the realities of heaven and hell, and this is certainly worth devoting our lives for, to centre our lives around Jesus to be there at the end in the kingdom with Paul, with the people of the church of Corinth, to be there together 
for all eternity in heaven. Thank you for guiding us, for giving us a way. But we pray that you would help our hearts to stay focused on you and not be distracted from to evil things. Lord, please be with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.